Welcome to Shine, a child and youth development podcast brought to you by Catalyst Family Inc. I am Valerie Kelly, and with me is my co-host, Allie Ladio. If you are a parent, teacher, or work in a childcare setting, our podcast is for you. On Shine, we interview experts in child and youth development, share helpful parenting resources and advice, and provide you with inspiring stories as well as practical advice for supporting your family, community, classroom, and beyond. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Shine, inspiring conversations around children, family, and early child development. Thank you all so much for joining me today as we discuss coping mechanisms with children in the midst of a pandemic. I'd like to take I'd like to take a moment to give each of you the opportunity to introduce yourselves and what you do at Catalyst. My name is Sarah Ritchie, and I am currently working as a program coach for Catalyst. Um, every day, I work with um, teachers and families to be able to provide the best possible environment they can for the children that they serve. So I am Cynthia Gallardo. I am a program quality manager for Catalyst as well. Um, I work with our centers to ensure that we have program quality or the highest levels of program quality within our within our programs, also supporting with professional development for our teachers um, within the agency. My name is Megan Vincent, and I'm the senior director of HR Ops and supporting all these fabulous uh, employees here at Catalyst. Today we'll be talking about how children and educators cope with overwhelming feelings during these uncertain times, especially as we return to a new normal. At the time of this recording, it is actually Mental Health Awareness Month, and this episode is slotted to air in mid-June. We'll also be focusing on the importance of self-care today. And so I'll go ahead and start with the questions. To start us off, let's talk about coping mechanisms in children, particularly this past year. How has the pandemic changed the way children cope? So I think um, one of the things that I actually noticed for my own child as we kind of went through the pandemic was that she just had to do it very differently um, in that she would typically go to school and have those regular interactions with their friends to kind of decompress but they actually had to find different ways of communication. So um, setting up their own Zoom calls, like after school as their little hangout sessions. I think that was probably one of the ways that she did. Um, I know I encourage her to do some mindfulness activities as far as thinking about how to reflect, um, even like some journaling. We did like bike rides, that sort of stuff together also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you, Cynthia. I do think that it is individualized. And I think each of the children at our centers um, do have different ways of dealing with it, you know, whether and it can it can be variable depending on how it's being handled at home with their families um, or the communities that they're a part of. And, um, you know, those coping mechanisms might range. But I think the important part and what's so wonderful about our company is that we really look at the whole child and we look at customizing and providing a variety of tools that can fit those different type of coping mechanism styles or preferences as well. 
Absolutely. And, and just to build off of what Megan was just uh, describing too about individualizing at the center level, um, something that was a big aha moment for all of us at the center um, was seeing how before the pandemic, um, a lot of children, especially who um, maybe they were just not very excited about the academic part of school, right? They always had those things to look forward to, whether it was a fall festival or a carnival or even um, even something as simple and day to day as, um, you know, having a really rough day at school and then their teacher or um, like one of their friends coming up and putting their hand on their back and saying, it's okay, you got this, right? Just those simple day to day interactions. Before the pandemic, that was how a lot of children would kind of cling to those things and be able to, you know, justify it in their brain of, oh, man, this this math test is so hard. But, hey, at least I have this fall festival to look forward to or at least I have my birthday party to look forward to. Right. And so I think all of us have experienced this in varying levels. But during the pandemic, it took all of those normal, um, I guess you could say celebrations or normal um, things to look forward to. It took them away to where at first, you know, they completely went away. And I remember back in May, I was working with um, an older group of uh, junior high transitioning into high school children um, and just for a community outreach project. And one of the questions that was asked by a high schooler was, what do you, what advice do you have for, um, for kids who can't have their birthday? Like just, it completely gets canceled. Like what kind of like two part question this child asked me They They first, they asked what kind of damage could this do like for a long term mental health. Right. And then the second question they asked was what do we do now? Like, how do we avoid like, you know, being affected by this or how can we keep ourselves positive when these things are being canceled? So I think the number one, at least in my, in my scope of work, what we do with Catalyst, the number one thing that, um, you know, I, I talk with teachers about all the time is how can we translate those things that they're missing into smaller everyday celebrations? So how can we get them to celebrate the little things? And rather than focusing on what they're missing, how can we reframe and um, redo the way we celebrate things or give those acknowledgement to where it's pandemic proof, right? Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. for example, for me as a teacher, um, one of my nonverbal go-tos that I would do is high fives or, um, you know, fist bumping or like a hand on the back, like you've got this, you can do it, right? So what I started to focus on instead was more of the words that I'm saying. So rather than saying, you've got this friend, and then a high five, instead I would say, wow, you are so perseverant with this with this uh, thing, or wow, you worked so hard on this. You must feel so proud. Like really making sure I'm making the most of every single sentence that I'm telling a child uh, to make it um, mean the most. So then that way, worst case scenario, we don't have that physical touch or we don't have the big, you know, like fall carnival or whatever it may be. We do have something that is, um, we're enriching every single day with those um, ways to verbally connect with the people that we serve. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Um, so with that in mind, what are some of the best practices to ensure teachers are able to take care of their own mental health needs so they can be fully present for the children? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can start with that one, uh, Valerie. 
this is, I, I love this topic because I think it's just like when you talk about parents or you talk about loving, being able to love yourself before you can love others is, is a common phrase that you hear. I do feel like it's very similar to individuals that are taking care, that are caretakers, that are educators, etc., cetera, um, and have that responsibility to be present um, and providing additional resources, guidance to others, whether that be a patient, whether that be a child, whether that be um, a senior citizen, whatever that might be. And, you know, where I think it's been really important, we've tried to, where we can this past year with our employees, is provide them also a toolbox of a variety of resources to help them cope with their own uh, mental health and um, stress or anxiety that they're dealing with from a, their home situation to, you know, the pandemic to, you know, whether it's coming into work every day, which was different than a lot of other maybe of their peers who were working remotely. Um, so it, it came to different things of looking at, you know, a lot of companies provided resources such as meditation um, apps or, you know, a lot of people have heard about the Calm app or the My Strength app from Kaiser that we encourage employees to use. We've really pushed the EAP to provide free counseling opportunities for individuals. Um, so there were tools that we used from that perspective, but I think it was also really good to talk to managers about how they can set the stage to provide very high-level check-ins, not to necessarily be a therapist per se, but to be someone that's just saying, how are you doing? It's okay if you have a rough day today. I hope it gets better. Please let me know how I can help, right? Just acknowledging, I think, sometimes that people, it's okay to have a bad day. Children have a bad day, so do adults. Um, but at the end of the day, sometimes we need to check ourselves and check in with ourselves um, so that we can be present for the children, right? Um, so that could be anywhere from doing meditation on their way to work. Um, we've had people that if they're, they're, they said at their evenings, they, they are religious about doing walks or making time 30 minutes to just read for themselves. Um, so that self-care is really important so that they can be able to be present with the children. And I think part of what we've been trying to do is encourage, you know, a variety of different options and, and sharing best practices amongst each other as employees of what are we doing to take care of ourselves um, mentally and physically, right? So, um, and just kind of going back to kindness. In, in the, it's such a simple phrase and so, seems so simple, but in a world that's, that's challenged this past year with so many um, catastrophic, um, catastrophes or milestones of anxiety, I guess you would say, uh, I think it's really important that we push you know, giving people a break, providing that kindness, just saying, hey, how are you doing? Anything you need, anything you need from me. Um, so that can go a long way, you know, uh, making sure that that's done on more of a regular basis. Absolutely. I think it's important to, to kind of reflect for ourselves to see what is my personal temperament like. Um, mm -hmm. I know for many teachers, we're in this field because we care about others and we care about the children and families that we serve. And so um, nine times out of 10, the teacher in the group is the first one to be like, oh no, that's okay. I don't need my prep today. You go ahead. Like, I'll just do it later, right? Or I'll just do it at home. Or we start to then translate other parts of our role to other parts of our day and we don't prioritize our own self-care because of that we want to care for other people and so um, one strategy that was very helpful um, for many of the teachers to try is they would actually start planning out their self-care moments on their calendar as if it were 
a, a due date for work or as if it were like their own prep time or their own break time mm-hmm. or lunch time. Um, and then they'd stick to it. And having that time blocked out on their calendar, um, it really holds them to that standard of being able to physically see when they're sacrificing their self-care time. A lot of times for me, if, if I don't write it down, it doesn't exist, right? <laughs> so right. writing it down and physically having to cross off my self-care moment because I'm sacrificing it for something else, there's a little bit of pain that's associated with that, right? So I'm less likely to do that. I'm more likely to be aware of when I'm how much I'm sacrificing my own personal time. So um, I know, especially with the pandemic, we've all been utilizing these virtual resources. So if you have like an Outlook or if you have a digital calendar that you update, try doing that. Try blocking off a consistent um, chunk of time, you know, once a week or, or twice a week or however often you need it to be able to really be able to identify when you could take that time for yourself. And Sarah, I think it's really cool that we've even seen some centers incorporated as a group effort, not just for themselves and the children. So whether it's meditation or whether it's yoga, like the teachers would do it with the children. And so it's a way for them to maybe check themselves while they're doing it, while the children are also doing it. And it's role modeling. I mean, a variety of different, um, you know, uh, strengths and opportunities that come from that, which is great to see. Mm -hmm. That makes me really think about like when we're working with children, we want them to name those feelings or emotions that they might be having in order to tame it. So that idea of like naming it to tame it really comes to mind with me. So as adults and we're experiencing those things, sometimes, you know, even just the act of simply naming that, hey, you know what, today I'm feeling uneasy or today, you know, is I'm overwhelmed with all that's happening um, is, is huge because that just deescalates or gets you to that like thinking brain again, and you're able to move forward. Um, so even I think we do those emotional check-ins with children. So as administrators of programs or as, um, you know, as we supervise children and adults, like doing that emotional check-in on the secondary and just having, um, our staff or having staff even, name those feelings that they might be having so that they're able to tame them and then move forward with the rest of their days as well. Absolutely. And then making it feel okay, right? Yeah. Like I said, oh, kids yeah. are, you know, kids are so good at calling it out. Like, I mean, my son will say, mom, you seem like you're frustrated. <laughs> Cause like yeah. I said, you know, adults can get frustrated and sad mm-hmm. too, you know, and that's okay. This is part of, this is part of life. It's being a child, it's being an adult and figuring out, you know, how do we move forward, right? Having to help solve it and how do we make things better? And when is it okay to just sit and say, yeah, I'm just feeling sad today or I'm feeling frustrated. And, and sometimes kids can teach us uh, sometimes great ways of how to deal with it ourselves, right? Oh yeah. Stay in the know with Catalyst News, find helpful and supportive resources for families and educators, visit our connection hub at catalystkids.org forward slash connection hub. So we're talking about um, how we're integrating self-care and how that translates into what our centers look like uh, when we help children. Which leads into my next question. What are some of the things that have been implemented in the centers to allow us to better navigate any behavioral challenges that we are presented with? Well, I think for this one, I'll I'll go ahead and start to answer this one if that's okay. Um, I think 
transitioning from that last question we were talking about and really looking at self-care like we would if we're on an airplane and looking at a rescue mask that drops that drops from the ceiling, mm-hmm. right? They always mm-hmm. tell everybody, put on your mask first so that way you can help the person next to you. And so when we're thinking about how to implement, um, you know, systems in the center to support children with challenging behaviors, if you yourself are not fully fulfilled and fully um you know, I guess you could say like practicing those self-care strategies, your energy tank or your patient's level in supporting children with challenging behaviors is already going to be starting out at at a critical level, right? So I think um, whenever we are really working on our own self-care, identifying our feelings, as we just talked about, we're first doing one very important thing is that we're modeling behaviors for the children in the center. We're opening up with them and saying, you know, I'm having a really rough day today, but what are some things we could do together, guys, to, to cheer myself up? Or what's something else we could do, you know, and involving them in that process? What you're doing in that moment is you're then modeling for those children. So when they experience a challenging situation, they're going to go to what they've seen first. Um, And then they're going to go to what they know inherently in terms of, um, you know, what they're what they're used to practicing at home as well. So um, depending upon the level of challenging behavior that you're seeing in terms of if it's a child who, let's say they're just minorly like frustrated in that moment because they're just disappointed that something happened, you probably won't see them divert back to like the really aggressive hitting or the really aggressive like um, primal instinct they may have, right? You'll, you'll see them start to use some of those like frontal lobe type of procedures of, of testing out what they've modeled. However, if it's something that sets them into this mindset of like a fight or flight situation where they're just operating from brainstem and they are just absolutely just like not even remembering any of the self-care practices that you modeled for them. They're not remembering any of that. They're just at that point where they're going to fight or flight. They're just trying to get out of that situation as fast as they can. Um, That's where, especially in those situations, you having your own confidence and self-care kind of established in yourself as a teacher, it's going to really help you to be able to not take that behavior personally. You're going to be able to identify it as what it is, which is a form of behavior. You're going to be able to say, oh, I see you're feeling really unsettled right now. Let's let's calm down first, you know, and then really help them to kind of calm down and then, mm-hmm. you know, go from there. So a lot of times what we do whenever we're working with teachers in the environment is to try to create as many visual systems as you possibly can um, that are tailored to meet the children where they're at with what you've seen them exhibit in terms of their behavior. Um, there are really a lot of amazing strategies. And uh, Cynthia, I know she's one of our um, our lead people in our agency for uh, teaching pyramids. So Cynthia, you probably have even more of a, like, <laughs> a grasp of being able to, to share some best uh, strategies for this. Yeah, definitely. I think that a lot of the time it's really understanding your children. I think that is probably like the biggest piece of supporting children with um, challenging behaviors is really starting to understand them and really starting to take apart like what it is that children are trying to communicate with us. And unfortunately, in a time where, you know, the what they're experiencing could potentially have had some traumatic effects on them, we're really needing to understand that those behaviors that they're exhibiting are trying to communicate something with us. So I think that's probably the biggest part of it. And so really looking for those cues, having conversations and building our relationships with them so that we're able to get to know them better and we're able to help to kind of de-escalate and give them some replacement behaviors to be able to communicate 
what it is that they're actually needing or wanting um, in the classrooms, you know, like we were talking about doing those emotional check-ins with them on a regular basis is helpful. Um, using different types of scripted stories um, that kind of walk them through some of the things that they might be feeling but haven't been able to name yet or to kind of help them with more pro-social behaviors um, and teaching them those skills. I think the biggest part is figuring out what those triggers are and what the you know, what the functions of their behaviors are so that we're able to um, support teaching them those replacement skills. Um, kind of like Sarah was saying, in our classrooms, there are so many different ways that teachers have done that, whether it be verbal cues or visual cues that we might have on, you know, as, um, you know, posters on the wall to support them through problem solving. We have different solution kits. We have calming down kits that we use that give children strategies as far as like taking deep breaths or, you know, we have kiddos that sometimes like to push. And so we have them do some different wall push-ups to still exert that same energy, but in a safe way. So lots of different things that um, our teachers are using. Um, they have resources available to them through our virtual libraries or tapping into their program quality managers for support. Um, we have teachers reaching out to our inclusion support team so that we're, they're getting different strategies through them as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of the most fun things to do as a teacher, too, is when you go from a mm -hmm. place of, oh, this is an insurmountable challenge. We can't oversee it. Let me try to de-escalate the child, right? If you move from that frame of mind into that social experimenter like hat, right, where you're like, we're scientists. Let's figure out what solution is going to work, right? And talk about the amount of empowerment that gives to the children, too, when you're looking at them and saying, hey, I see you have a problem. I see that this is what's going on. How is that making you feel? The child identify how they feel in that moment, right? And then giving them that reassurance in the first and say, hey, we're going to solve this. Let's work together and we're going to come to the solution of it. And then you pull out your solution kit strategies. You pull out those visible um, or visual cards that the children can reference, right? And then it becomes kind of like a game in that moment for the children too, because then they get to see how many strategies does it take until it solves my problem, <laughs> like right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it comes from that like, oh, let's try this strategy. And then they come back to, oh, Miss Sarah, it didn't work. Oh, it didn't work. No worries. What's the next one? Let's find the next one, you know? And then you could start to kind of like, you know, it's kind of like that, um, that owl on those Tootsie Roll, like uh, <laughs> lollipop commercials, right? How many licks does it take to get to the center, right? It's like, how many solutions does it take until this solves our problem? And then I can't tell you how many times, too, I've seen children um, that I'm working with with this exact approach, right, using those solution kit strategies and things, where it becomes a game for both of the children. Then all of a sudden, you see, like, the child who's, like, instigating it, they start to say no just to say no to spite you, right, in that moment. And then it's like, it ends up, a lot of the times, like, the kid's both start kind of laughing in the end and saying, okay, you know what? Let's look at the time. We've now spent about 30 minutes <laughs> trying out all these strategies. We got some great practice, didn't we? Yeah, we got some great practice. I see you're both smiling. Are you ready to kind of play together? Or you guys do you need to take some time apart for a while? What do you think? You know, and it's it's kind of neat to see how we can take the control of these situations and, and really reinforce that thought to the children that it's about the journey. It's not about the end result. It's about the journey of what you tried to resolve your issue. 
Mm-hmm. I would also add that I think living in California, we are very fortunate to have an abundance of vitamin D. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, we all know that that uh, helps a lot with the psychology and mental health of individuals, right? So I think having that, you know, a lot of outside time, especially um, during the beginning of the pandemic, when we tried to have m- more kids space out, uh, creating some of those either outdoor activities that can release some of the energy, uh, soak up some of that lovely vitamin D that can help a lot of the chemicals in our brain, right, with regards to uh, social emotional health, um, has helped not only the children, but I think that the teachers, right, our, our staff, um, to be able to have that outlet and be outside, which a lot of times in and of itself can be very therapeutic. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, being able to spend time outdoors, um, you know, whether it's on your patio or going for a walk, going for a hike, definitely helps the mindset. Um, No doubt been a challenging past year. Uh, How are we supporting children through these times? And do you have any ideas for families that they can implement at home to better support their children? I think for us as like when we're thinking about the centers, And when we think about kind of trauma in general, like the one thing that supports people in recovering from it the most are those deepening or deepening relationships or building and maintaining those deep relationships. And I know within, within our centers, we really talk about there's five key elements of providing or um, building those relationships. And, you know, that being really looking at how we provide support for children. So thinking about how we empower them, how we expose them to new things and build their confidence within things. And just something as simple as really expressing care. So really paying attention and providing acknowledgement for their accomplishments. Um, and then kind of like Sarah was saying earlier, sharing power with them, allowing them to make decisions that um, within their, their spaces and with their environments and really pushing them to do their best at things. I think those are things that are going to really support building our relationships with them. Those the relationships that we build with them are really key at um, supporting them through these traumatic experiences or things that they've been going through in the last year. Um, and as they are building those relationships with us, then hopefully we're able to build those relationships with their families as well um, and helping them to like deepen the, the, those pieces um, at the home level too. Yeah, and I also think that, um, you know, some of the other things we've done, too, is just looking for opportunities some areas of our company have done, you know, during the winter months, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs, Um, families may have lost their jobs, um, or been furloughed, a lot of them have been impacted, and sometimes money can be very tight. So we had one aspect of our organization um, do, you know, help to organize a um, winter clothes drive to help provide families uh, with clothes for their children. Uh, you know, which is really, really important. It's what we stand for is providing the the kind of the, the, the village mentality in terms of supporting children, families and communities. Um, so I've been pretty proud to hear about a lot of those different scenarios or to, to other people where they're if they need to deliver supplies or things to a home um, for our distance connection learners. Right. So a lot of things that, you know, just kind of go above and beyond uh, than what we normally do um, pre pandemic day day center. Um, and I think for, for families at home, you know, kind of going back to our earlier discussions, you um, 
being okay and encouraging discussions about labeling emotions. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, their emotions are real. Um, and, and sometimes it's really hard for them to understand emotions and maybe what they're feeling. Um, and just allowing that space for them to talk. And sometimes I know it's hard because they may be, you might be right in the middle of something and that's the time that they decide to, you know, unleash their entire day and want to talk to you about something really disturbing that happened during their day or, or something exciting that happened during their day. Um, and, you know, if it's not at that time, just making sure to, to set aside that time to really have some dedicated one-on-one -on -one discussions with them so that they can share that. And you give that an, as an opportunity to help them learn um, what they're feeling from a situation, how they can react, um, how they can move forward. And, and so that they know that you're there and you understand and, and you're not judging, but you want to help them um, in identifying what their feelings and emotions are as well. Absolutely. And I think you touched on something, Megan, that's that's really important to remember and almost like foundational. When someone is missing one of their core um, like keys to their survival, right? It's very hard for them to go anywhere above that and focus on higher level thinking. So for example, mm -hmm. if a child or a family is experiencing food insecurity or job insecurity, income, whatever it may be, that's what they're going to be fixated on. And they're really not going to be able to find a lot of peace until that is resolved or they have a plan in place to be able to fill that survival basic human need, right? So by as teachers, we kind of saw this in the beginning of the pandemic too, in terms of how our role was even being framed where, you know, up until, um, I know for our agency, we've always looked at the whole child, but, you know, even more so during the pandemic, you know, the first questions that were being asked by a lot of the counties that we serve um, was, are your family's social service needs being met? Are they having housing? Are they having food insecurity? What can we do? And you saw that across the state of California, so many elementary schools opened up and are still to this day giving out lunches to the community, even if they don't go to their school um, to kind of help fill that need. So I think, um, you know, another really important part is to be observant, to be able to be intentional observers. And when we're, you know, looking out for a child and we see that a child is, you know, throwing their backpack around or they're throwing things around or they seem to be kind of, you know, uh, ex experimenting or like expressing signs of aggression without any like, you know, uh, proposed trigger or without anything that seems to be prompting it, maybe ask, hey, how are you feeling? Are you feeling a little hungry? Are you feeling a little sleepy? You know, starting with that first. And then if they're like, oh, I don't know, you know, sometimes I know when I get hangry, it's pretty bad, you know, but it's one of those things where, you know, when you're able to have your basic needs met, you're able to then move up from there. And then I think something too that Cynthia touched on, um, and kind of reiterated was that idea of sharing control. Um, one strategy that can easily be done at home um, to share control and that really also kind of helps to open up dialogue, right, is if you notice that um, a decision needs to be made in the household, whether it's what to have for dinner, what we're going to do for like what movie we're going to watch, what activity we're going to do next, you know, hold out both of your hands in front of you, like open high five kind of things, right, and say, which choice would you like? High five the one that you want. Do you want option A or option B. And then you as a parent would make sure that option A and option B are both easily doable things that you can do joyfully, whichever one they pick. So then that way you're giving that child a, a, something easy and something tangible that they can control immediately see after the fact. And then you're able to fill that need that they have of being able to control something in their world that seems out of their control right now. Mm -hmm. So um, just a little, any, any fun type of 
of strategy that you can do that's number one easy <laughs> for you mm-hmm. um, to implement as a, as a parent um, mm-hmm. and then also just to maintain that consistency with the school it's so important to be able to have that um, consistent environment to whatever strategies that they're doing at your child's school trying to extend those into the home environment as well really will help in both environments um, another thing too as teachers that we can really make sure to align and build that bridge between school and home is to stay in communication constant communication with our families and not just a oh here's our newsletter to let you know how you can be involved or involved in our program bye guys like not like that but like actual reciprocal communication so picking up the phone and asking how is your week this week how is everything going at home is there anything you're needing Um, how can we better serve or better customize our program to better serve you and your family Um, you know I think it's uh, definitely goes a long way to build trust and um, I, I know I, for one, am very excited to see the future of our fields, how we're taking these strategies of really um, cooperative uh, communication and collaborative uh, approaches. I'm really excited to see the effect that that has in our industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do we take away and what do we continue on yeah. moving forward post-pandemic, right? Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Communication is just so, so important. Um and yeah, as you were saying, Sarah, I, I can definitely relate to to being hangry for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's something we all can relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, so awesome. Thank you all so much for joining me today. This is such an important topic, um, being cognizant of Mental Health Awareness Month. And Sarah, as you mentioned, when preparing for takeoff on a flight, we have to fix our own oxygen mask before helping others. And I feel that just is such a perfect analogy when it comes to ensuring that we're caring for ourselves properly in order to be of service to others, especially children in our centers. And for our listeners, we'll be sure to include some links to helpful resources in the footnotes, so be sure to check those out. Bye, everyone. Bye. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Shine, inspiring conversations around children, family, and early child development. Please subscribe so that you don't miss an episode and connect with us. You can find us at catalystkids.org slash shine.